0: Everybody and welcome to this Game Where with me, Ashley and the other one. Chris. Hello everyone. Chris. It's my
1: full name. Don't wear it out. You alright? Yes, thank you. How are you? Well, apart from actually I've got a cut on my finger. Can you see that?
0: Yeah. Where did that come from? It looks quite vicious. Uh cutting an orange. I bet you can't see my greys. No, I can't. Are you sure? I can see it now. Anyway, ah. I've got a graze. It, it's terrible. It's probably worse than your cut. Oh, I have one of those things. You know, the little rings you get for peeling open oranges. You know what I mean? Yeah, a plastic one. Yeah,
1: with a little hook on. <laughs> I was savagely attacking the orange and I, I went off pith.
0: I'd say that's definitely on brand for you. What, cutting pith? Being able to cut yourself open with a plastic, a piece of plastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I did feel quite foolish at the time. How'd you get your graze? Gardening. There you go. Short... Answer for a a pointless anecdote. That was just gardening, right? I grazed it on some concrete. More macho than
1: mine, certainly.
0: Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I was actually moving paving slabs. Is that more macho? That's macho. Is that macho? That's (laughs) definitely more macho. Are we going for macho? I don't ever. I don't go for macho. Do you go for macho on the show? One hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Okay. I didn't realize that. I've been editing for not macho. Right. I've been taking all your macho shit out. Problematic. So that time when you put your balls on the desk in front of me. (laughs) That, that just went. Oh, no. That was cut. I cut that. I don't know if you even listened back to the episodes, but that was gone. That was my big energy. I was trying to, to get across to you. Yeah bad times right so actually it's our
1: 60th episode our diamond episode in fact what do we have in store for listeners tonight
0: you told me that before we started you told me that it was that the 60th anniversary was the diamond anniversary Mm. and you wanted me to use it in introducing the episode and I point blank refused and you still managed to get it in anyway that's my shtick you think of our podcast like a relationship don't you
1: that's what they say on Facebook Twitter Instagram and YouTube they say we're like a an old married couple
0: I'm not sure that's true I've never seen anyone saying that it will be Once this goes out and I create a fake Facebook profile and start posting it. Righty-ho. What did you say? 60th anniversary episode, something or other? Question? What did you ask? Basically, it was a way to get you to explain to listeners what the format is for our multiples of 10. Oh, we take a game that we've never played before and we play it and then we talk about it. How about that? Well, in fact, we talk about it a little bit before we play it and then we play it and then we talk about it. It's basically the same format as the other games, except we haven't played this one. Yeah,
1: with an exciting twist in that we have no idea what we're talking about because we haven't played the game beforehand.
0: I'd say the exciting twist of being able to play a game that we would have liked to have come around to at some point, and we're finally getting the opportunity to come around to it. So in the past, we've played Mist. I can't remember which. You probably got the numbers for these, haven't you? In your head. 30. In your accountant's head. The episode 30. Yep. Okay. Well, these are so these all, the legis-
1: these all multiples of 10. It's not very difficult. Mm,
0: fair. All right. So Legislative Larry was number 10. Yeah, 20 we Myst. didn't do, because we were deep yeah, in lockdown. lockdown. Yeah, locked down. Yeah. Uh, Mist was 30. 40. Doom. 50. Castlevania. And 60. Fantasy Star 4. Yeah. Fantasy Star for the new millennium, is it? End of the millennium. Ah, fine. Why have we chosen this then? Well, the thing that ties all of those games together is that. They are games that have a very good reputation in one way or another, and whenever I'm looking for games for these episodes, I'm looking for games that we probably should have played. You know, Mm. like, these are basically a different pile of shame, aren't they? These games are in our pile of shame because we haven't played them before and we probably should have.
1: Yeah, well, having Jens up on it for this episode tonight, I am feeling regret that I haven't played it because I really do think this sounds right at my
0: street. I'm glad that you've actually... done some research i found this research really difficult for this as much as there is a fandom for it that definitely exists and you come across that quite often there seems to be a bit of a gap in terms of the, in terms of people talking about it, whenever we've done games previously, in fact, I've never come across this in all the episodes we've done. I've never come across a situation like the one with Final Fantasy Star Four. There isn't a plenty of information on like the background of the game and the development of the game and so on. And yes, there is a Wikipedia page, which I, sh- I'm sure you've given a real good going over. No comment. But beyond that. <laughs> Good, thank you. But beyond that, I couldn't really find too much. Which
1: I was I was the same and I was quite surprised by that because I always mm. thought fantasy stuff as a series had an extremely good reputation. So I yeah, yeah, I agree I was quite surprised. This game in particular. Can I also just point out there you've mentioned fandom. Can we is that can we go on record as saying that fandom is spelled P H A N D O M to time the Fantasy Star? Is that is that what they say? No. No.
0: You asking me on mic or are you yeah. asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you Oh yeah no. Oh. no that sounds can can we no. start calling it that then can we start fandom no no why why are you what are you talking about we were we were having a conversation about something that actually mattered and you've decided to derail it to talk about how you spell fandom yeah what's wrong with you sorry i've spoiled it again haven't i you've spoiled it again yeah so
1: ign in 2007 voted this the 61st best game ever and in 2012 ign same website voted it number 59 in the top 100 rpgs ever and then not only that complex magazine a magazine i had hitherto unheard of until my research on wikipedia earlier voted it hitherto yep hitherto yep Hitherto,
0: okay. Hith- hitherto, <laughs> hitherto sounds like some kind of podiatral uh, <laughs> issue, doesn't it? Maybe it is. <laughs> I've come. I've come in from mine. I've brought in hitherto. I've got hitherto. Complex
1: magazine. Who had hitherto. I'd never heard of before, ranked it the second best Mega Drive game ever behind Gunstar Heroes, which is another game I've not played.
0: Mm, no, I haven't played Gunstar Heroes either. The thing about Fantasy Star is it sits in, uh, the whole series sits in a, a slightly strange place because it is a, an RPG on the Mega Drive and the Mega Drive I think you'll agree, is not well-known for its RPGs, JRPG or otherwise. I did hear somebody, I can't remember whether this was related to stuff but the way that somebody put it, again, I can't remember who it was, was that you could sit around all year waiting for an RPG to come to the Mega Drive and still not get one, whereas the SNES had a, a slew of them, uh, just a constant conveyor belt of very good, high-caliber rpgs and JRPGs, rpgs in particular
1: so beyond zelda what are the ones were there on the snes that were
0: oh man are you asking seriously are you asking to sort of give genuinely so there was there was the breath of fire series there was secret of mana series uh there were or secret series secret of series whatever you want to call it there was terranigma there was chrono trigger uh, the final fantasy series which you've already mentioned Mm, of course yeah uh bahamut lagoon which is Widely regarded as, again, one of the best RPGs of all time. Never heard of it. Well, it only came out in Japan, right, uh, Bahamut right. Lagoon. But there's a very good fan translation of it, uh, if you ever fancied it. Uh, there's the Earthbound, or Mother series, yeah. as well. They're, the list goes on. It's a huge list. And they are, by and large, super high quality. The whole the whole lot of them.
1: Earthbound, I read about a couple of days ago, because Terry Crews, of all people, was tweeting Nintendo. Yes, yeah, so he was that's... trying to get Mother 3. Yeah. yeah. If you'd have given me a month to say... What game reckon Terry Crews was was petitioning for a translation of I would never have guessed
0: but the three. Mm, no, it's got a quite a uh, quite a loyal fan base. Even in again, that's another one that has got a very good apparent fan translation. Um, okay, so people have been able to play it, but it's never had an official release outside of Japan.
1: So I suppose. I was as listeners now know I was a Mega Drive boy and I had Soleil which we have covered in an earlier episode and there were I can think of a few other Mega Drive RPGs but they generally seemed to be action RPGs the ones I was certainly familiar with Fancy Star I think would have been a game that I would not have been into when I had my Mega Drive because I didn't get into this style of RPG until getting the PS1 and trying Final Fantasy 7 so I think even if it had been on my radar I think it would have fallen off the radar again afterwards if that makes sense
0: that's a story that i think i could echo as well i wasn't really an rpg fan until i discovered final fantasy 7 on the mm. on playstation 1 and then uh, i've since gone back and played a number of the SNES, in particular the snes ones but mega drive has always always been a bit of a blind spot for me anyway I've, I've played a fair few games on it but certainly going delving beyond the obvious is not something that i've done with the mega drive largely because i think that there is a certain style to mega drive games that i don't it doesn't really sit well with me I'd, and i i'd need an, a whole hour to figure out why and it would it would be more sort of psychiatry <laughs> than, <laughs> right than actual talk about games is it the garishness of it or the, the bright colors or something no because it's no it's neither of those things in and of themselves they maybe are a part of maybe a part of the whole Issue that I have. They just don't seem to hang together as well as the SNES games. I realize that I'm saying that from a place of bias.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also prefacing an episode where we're going to be playing a Mega Drive RPG that we're hoping is going to be good. So yes. fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that's that's kind of where we're going. Yeah. That is where I'm hoping we're going because Fantasy Star 4, as you've put it, is supposed to be phenomenal. I think though, from what I've seen of Fantasy Star 4, one of the reasons that it might be so good is because it apes the more traditional traditional fare of the snes oh, rpgs okay <sighs> i say that because it looks very final fantasy at the same time it does have a sci-fi story doesn't it It has a sci-fi story and setting so that's going to be interesting too
1: yes yeah, so i read into it to uh, this sort of style of game and as you said it's more sci-fi than medieval or fantasy
0: yeah which is i think again don't quote me uh, because i uh, i'm not the be all and end all when it comes to RPGs in the 90s but at the time sci-fi and sci-fi would not have been that much done in this genre so it's something that I'm quite excited by the prospect of this playing this game it is a genre that the genre of RPGs picked up a little bit more so Final Fantasy 7 is a perfect example of sci-fi being a part of, of an RPG uh, and Final Fantasy 8 Star Ocean I don't know if you've played Star Ocean no. but that's another series of games with it that sci-fi is used in and I, I enjoy all of those games so I'm anticipating actually liking that element of fantasy star 4 whether i like everything else remains to be seen but the the actual theme of sci-fi
1: appeals to me a great deal so if anyone else is the same as us and unfamiliar with the game or the series as a whole it is as we've said it's a mega drive rpg that was released had a quite labored release schedule so it came out Mm. in japan in december 1993 and then came out in america in february 1995 and it didn't come out in europe until december 1995 so full two years after it was first
0: released mm. so i think this is because of um american the american industry is a little bit averse to jrpgs uh, i think they think that the audience isn't there for them and that's something that has been that's existed since the early days of console gaming and it's something that persists actually we the reason that mother three hasn't or one of the reasons that mother three likely hasn't come out over here is because nintendo aren't certain that they can make the money that they need to make off it off that release and that was the case here i believe with fantasy star 4 they were wary of not making their money back i also so there's something about the price the price was like a hundred dollars which is obscene did you look into the story at all I've never, I don't know why it's $100. I know there was $100 and people still bought it.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. That That's a really interesting point there. So I found that as well. The fact that it's RRP was over $100 in America. And I thought, why is that? Because as you said, that's completely absurd. So I found an interview with a chap called Victor Ireland. And I'll explain who he is in this story in a minute. So the story is that he told from his side is that Sega America said there was no market for the game to sell it age would not sell oh at which all. is what I've just been saying yeah exactly and actually on that note I can believe that is possible having read through console wars and Sega America's practices in the mid
0: 90s oh yeah I see what you mean I thought you meant that there wasn't an audience but actually I think the audience well it was Proven that the audience is yeah, was there. Yeah, precisely. For this game, so Sega
1: America said, no, we're not going to release it because it's not going to sell. So Working Designs, who are a now defunct American game publisher, said they were going to license the game from Sega of Japan and then release it... To an audience themselves Sega America got wind of this happening and decided actually we, we will release it because we don't want another company to get some money however we're going to put it out at a massively inflated price in order to prove there's no market because it won't sell at this inflated price to be quite spiteful however even at $100, it did then sell. This story is from, I say, Victor Ireland, who was the manager of Working Designs, which has now rebranded. It, it folded in the mid-noughties and is now Gaijin Works. Gaijin? Gaijin Works? And exactly the same thing. They they released Japanese games for an American market. It's just that we've had this name change for whatever reason. So obviously he is invested and involved in this story. And the threads on the internet I found that quoted this story, story and this quote from victor island said that oh yeah we're not quite sure that's what happened so i wouldn't personally take that as the gospel truth however it does logically make sense
0: i would have assumed that it was some kind of some some form of technological thing so in cartridges that you have certain things that are added to cart to certain cartridges in order to allow them to do certain things one of the things that costs money on cartridges is battery backup Mm -hmm. this is obviously going to have that because of the save situation you'd have to be able to save it remember there
1: being a hoo-ha when sonic 3 came out because that came out at 60 pounds in this country yes so, yeah. and I can't imagine that would have been particularly big as a game. And then Sonic & Knuckles, which then obviously had the physical elements with the sliding the cartridge into, I think that had a quite a large price point as well. But I can understand that having a, a larger price point because of, like I said, the physicality of the cartridge. Sonic 3, I'm not quite sure why, because it's not particularly big Sonic Sonic game. 3,
0: I think, was on a 40 meg cartridge. No, but in terms of uh sort of graphical quality yeah things like that maybe maybe that was what upped the requirement because i think it was on a 40 meg cartridge right okay fair enough at the same time though even if it was on a 40 meg cartridge and this is on a 40 meg cartridge, i don't know how interesting this is to people (laughs) listening but 40 meg cartridge if they're both on a 40 meg cartridge one is selling for 60 quid and one selling for hundred dollars well more than a hundred dollars so i think at the time that would have been more than 60 pounds then there's a bit of a discrepancy there isn't there? yeah we,
1: we're talking we're talking about currency exchange from from when we were about seven years old i have no concept of what 60 pounds oh i been. was
0: well up on it i oh, really? knew the whole market no no <laughs> <laughs> no the, the most i ever engaged with the currency market was when we went to spain in 1997 what would i have been it, 98 in fact so i would have been 10 years old that was the first in fact that i probably knew that you could exchange money because i never had to before <laughs> just the idea of it as a concept
1: so it's an rpg that was developed by sega um it's the fourth as would it be implied by the name, It's the fourth in the original series with the first game coming out on Master System in 1987. There are now four sub-series underneath the Fancy Star umbrella and a total of 13 games available, which sounds quite confusing. Right. It's Fancy Star Online, yeah, what, which so is very popular. Fancy Star Online was the next title to come out in the series after this, which came out in 2000, which is seven years after it was first released in Japan and was released on the Dreamcast originally and was the first online RPG released for consoles. So it has that um, accolade to its uh, strength as well.
0: Um, Going backwards before we go forwards, uh, because I presume presume you've got a list there for all of the series and sub-series. You're presuming correctly. Oh, right, okay. Well, more fool you, because that list would have been quite an interesting one. Fancy Star, insert subtitle here, Fancy Star... (laughs) This series is one of the few. So this is one of the things that I found out. One of the few RPGs, I think even now, that has ongoing story arcs from game to game. And these first four games were were basically the same story. Now, I don't know how well it hangs together because i haven't played any of them we mean like
1: an episodic thing where we're going into it on in the fourth part in the story
0: yeah so right the it, it was a generational story so i think there are millennia between first and fourth games in the series but in terms of the actual ongoing events there are things that happen in fantasy star 4 that rely on having played fantasy star 1 and two and three. And um, I, I don't think we need to worry too much about it because we're not going to get to the end of the game. But there is... A, what One of the things that I read up about was that a lot of these callbacks or a lot of these story elements come to be important when you are sort of reaching the end game and you're heading towards this place called Floating Castle. And Floating Castle is a, a recurring location in the series. And the version of Floating Castle exists in this... Game has callbacks to the versions of Floating Castle that existed in previous games, such as one of the one of the floors on this version of Floating Castle has the same map, the same layout as the Floating Castle from Fantasy Star One on the Mass System. Um, Interestingly, do you know about Fantasy Star on the Mass System? Nope. So Fantasy Star on the mass system had a what looks like it was a it, like a first person view. Okay. So you were you were crawling through dungeons and you know how Doom it's sort of Doom style. You've got it's not really like Doom. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, you're crawling down a uh, very old school sort of it, it first graphical dungeon uh, RPG style games right. where if the first forays into it they had you walking through like labyrinths or mazes or mm-hmm. whatever and there'd be walls on either side and you'd walk a few steps and then you'd come across a character just standing in the middle of a, of a corridor and that was what the floating castle was like in Fantasy Star and that, that was how it was presented from this first person view.
1: Right and then this one you're then you're then visiting it not in first person view.
0: Yeah, you've got the top-down view, but it's the same layout of the castle, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, and there are other things, but I'm not going to go into them. If How about you,
1: that? <laughs> if you're wandering around a maze and you encounter some rando standing in the middle of the corridor, would you not stop to have a chance?
0: Uh, it depends what sort of maze and why I was there. Am I, am I lost? Am I stuck there? Is it a maze? Am I, am I making my way to a big baddie to kill? Is it a corn maze? Is it a hedge maze? I don't know what what's the scenario so tr- I need more what, what's the situation mm. yeah I'm just if I've, if I've gone to a country house and I'm walking around a corn maze a, a hedge maze I'm not going to stop and talk to strangers no why would I they're only impediments to my joy <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the maze to get lost and not have to talk to strangers aren't I I don't want to come across some random conversation I'd just be wondering why they're, they're there why are you why are you in this
1: maze what are you doing
0: well, Go- so, why are you in this maze you dickhead is what i expect i'm walking around they're just loitering lurking are we talking a country house hedge maze i'm still i'm talking fantasy style one maze right okay well that's different and that's what i'm trying to say if i was walking around fantasy style one maze presumably i've got a reason to be in the maze to find this person yeah
1: so we've already mentioned a few times this being an rpg in the traditional mold of that with those rpg staples like you explore you've got your as you said your npc interactions you've got turn-based combat i've been playing a game that contains all those today, and I've been really enjoying it. So I really hope fantasy Star is going to impress me because I've been playing the demo of Metopia today.
0: Ah, ah right. Ah, you ah, have, have you ah, been ah, playing?
1: I thought that, and it's 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 really good.
0: I don't know what you think. I thought Metopia is um like a a return of a 3ds thing yeah the street pass stuff on there and i quite liked it as much as the street pass didn't really work for me because i didn't like going out and passing people so (laughs) you doing uh, how on the streets uh, like it's pretty important yeah you have to go around it's ideal really if you're gonna have street pass you really need a handbag i don't have a handbag because you need somewhere to put your 3ds and putting your 3ds in your back pocket makes you look a bit silly get a bum so bag get a bum bag yeah. yep that solved the problem thanks chris it's too late now anyway because the whole concept of street pass i think is dead so i think so as well
1: but Mi- uh, but meetopia is
0: from that but meetopia is where
1: it's at so it has all these things you're exploring this world you, you're talking to npcs it's got turn-based combat it's got stats that you level up it, it's got i'm i am
0: genuinely been really enjoying it today i'm hoping that it does well it, i hope that lots of people do enjoy it the thing that turns me off is the Miis. how about that me's aren't really a thing anymore no in terms of no. it, not even in nintendo circles they crop up occasionally on the switch but so f- few and far between that when they do i go huh Mii's. Yeah on the switch
1: i forgot about them
0: yeah exactly so to have a whole game based around them on on the switch seems a little bit strange well but i'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt like say it's just them porting
1: a game over
0: isn't it well it isn't it isn't it the it, the street Pass thing was a much more slight affair it wasn't terribly slight but it was a much more slight affair than what i understand it to be now this version of Metopia. i think if your sucks have been blown off by Metopia, then fantasy has got a bloody good chance of doing the same but more I think so. because i i'm fairly sure that fantasy star 4 is going to be a more complete and better game well without that sounding like shade hopefully <laughs> against Metopia.
1: well shall we let's let find out let's let's crack on and uh find out Star 4 then a game that began with monsters in the basement and our playthrough tonight ended with a town getting quote done in by the big bad (laughs) Hmm.
0: that's not true actually we ended up we we started with monsters in the basement and we ended with monsters in the basement
1: oh yeah we did actually you're right after the Hmm. problematic conversation with the Ewok Owl character
0: yeah a bit of a weird one that wasn't it
1: yeah we'll say no more about it if people are intrigued by that then they can go
0: play it yourself yeah
1: yeah, it's 8.79p, come on.
0: I was well, just going to say, yeah, incidentally, yeah. if you do want to play this game yourself, I know we usually do this at the end, but it's 79 pence on Steam. So you've really got very little excuse. Takeaway from that then. What is your main takeaway from Fantasy Star 4? I thought it was really,
1: really good. I really enjoyed playing it tonight. It reminds me very strongly of Soleil, a, a game we have covered previously and a game I really enjoyed. It had as I think you alluded to in the first half, had a very clear Mega Drive RPG feel to it. I think you said it borrowed lots of SNES elements, though, within that. I just thought it was a very polished game.
0: I don't think it's as clear-cut as I've made out, like a SNES or a Mega Drive RPG. I think Mega Drive games just had a certain feel, and I don't think this has quite the same feel as other Mega Drive games, and I think that's what it's borrowed from the SNES. So the RPG feel, it kind of feels more like an RPG you might find on the SNES. At the same time, it looks a heck of a lot like something you'd find on the Mega Drive. It looks really nice, though. It does look really nice, yeah.
1: That first town we were in, we had these you know, crumbling wall effects. And then even in battles, the enemies... The way they're animating the visuals of the enemies... I think you you were talking about how the enemies... Pretty much were drawn pixel by pixel... To give some, some depth to them.
0: Everything was drawn, it seems, pixel by pixel. It, it, I'm sure it, there was a bit more of a holistic approach to it. But it, it seems like nothing I've ever seen before in a game. In that, And I'm sure I have. Uh, it's hyperbolic. But um, everything in it... Every single pixel matters. There are no big, big blocks of colour to suggest something so a mountain that appears in the background it has so many different tiny details to it and they're etched out pixel by pixel the detail is just so granular in everything that's drawn on the screen and that goes not just for the enemies but for backgrounds for tiles on the floor so every tile that you see has an, a level of detail that is just it's very impressive and it never seems to relent like there's just de- visual detail everywhere
1: i completely agree with you and i kept marveling both at the level of detail we were seeing and also this was in a game that came out in 1993 it looked
0: so good. So many games did look good at that point in time. If you think about if you really think about it, we've got Sonic the Hedgehog, which I do think looks really nice. And that was 1991. You've got Super Mario World, which was 1990 and is one of the loveliest looking games, I think, even now. Yeah. But it does it, it achieves it in a different way to the way that Fantasy Star 4 does. So Fantasy Star 4 has got this granularity to it. Every pixel matters. Super Mario World thrives on blocks of color. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, you've got some element of detail, some element of shading and so on, but just totally different aesthetics in both games. They both achieve something that looks gorgeous, but something different.
1: Talking of aesthetics, we were both led to believe this would be a sci-fi type deal. And it really wasn't. You pointed out it started off in a castle, which is
0: definitely not sci-fi. Really odd because I thought it was going to be full on sci-fi and it's not really. At least my experience of it hasn't been. So far, unless that changes later on, so far away, in fact, from sci-fi that the last place that we reached, the a town called Tono or Tono, that was tents. That was Ewoks in tents. Yeah, which I I understand. Ewoks are sort of sci-fi, but the whole point of the Ewoks was that they were they were sort of rustic, weren't they? They they all lived in they lived in the forest, and they yeah. they didn't have technological uh, the technological advancements of the rest of the. Star Wars universe or whatever, and that's the feel that I got from everywhere we went in this. Like it was, it was that medieval style that is very familiar if you've played any JRPGs from the nineties. Yeah. yeah, completely. So what's going on there? Why? Why were we both expecting? Because it wasn't just me that found that, was it? You, you mentioned it as well. Yeah,
1: or well, maybe later on the game ends up becoming. It this goes all has sci-fi a bit of a twist, and but certainly the mm. point at which we stopped playing tonight, it was. It wasn't sci-fi. It
0: was still very firmly grounded in the fantasy. Yeah, completely. Is that a disappointment? No, not at all. Not in the slightest. I have Mm. no qualms with it being fantasy type. Is it for you? Because I was quite... Yeah, in a way, I guess. I was kind of looking forward to getting something different. I feel like I was given something very in line with everything else that I've experienced. So maybe not not in the actual playing it wasn't because everything was very well done, uh, I would say. And it, it was in line with the quality of experience of all the games that I've played of the period and of the genre. But I was expecting something that distinguished itself and, uh, and didn't mm. necessarily get that. It felt a bit, quite literally, it felt generic. The first scene certainly was very familiar.
1: You're, you're in this town and you've been given a loose mission. You have to go to report to a character in order to find out what that mission was. And you're waltzing around this town. Sort of getting getting your bearings. That's
0: the start of so many RPGs. Um, I actually Lombarded around the town. I didn't waltz. I don't know what that is. It's a dance, right? You've ruined okay. my joke. Well Sorry. done. <laughs> I was dead excited to do that. Sorry, I, I don't want Strictly Come Dancing. I have no understanding of what that is. I don't is. think the Lombarda is on Strictly Come Dancing, unfortunately. Well, it should be. I don't really know what a Lombarda is. If anybody knows what a Lombarda <laughs> is, please do come and let us know on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. We only serve the important questions here. Exactly.
1: We The whole reason those social media channels were set up was to find out the answers to questions about dances, which we could easily find out ourselves by Googling.
0: No, not Googling that. No. Okay. Someone needs to come and tell me. If I'm going to know, you need to tell me.
1: We've said about the look of... Of the game we both really enjoyed the conversations between characters when it went into these cutscenes because it had these panels that looked like a comic book they were really nice
0: gorgeous the way that they were laid out as well it wasn't it, they, they sort of overlapped one another it felt yeah. very comic book style as you say and they were really again as you'd expect from what we said previously about other elements of the game they, there was so much detail in those illustrations there are even moments where it sort of um, surprised you with a frame Like one of those illustrations where you weren't necessarily expecting one. There was one in particular that looked just so stylish and I wasn't expecting it to pop up. And it was like it all in black and white. I don't know if you Mm. remember that one. The baddie Zio. Yeah. And it just looks phenomenal and really stylish. Just so
1: stylish. The only problem with those is that the conversation went on a very long time and actually that That carried on across the game that conversations that drove the plot forward were so long that I just ended up skipping reams and reams of text just to get to the end of it and then I had no idea what was going on. So that would be one criticism I have.
0: Would you have done that if we weren't under the time pressure that we are to sort of experience as much of the game as we can for, for the purposes of the podcast?
1: Yes, I would because I was getting bored. I just want to know. I, w- I want to know what I need to know, and then I want to move on.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think I agree to some extent. I've got a tolerance for it when I go into a JRPG because you expect it, don't you? You expect to be doing a lot of reading, and I'm not. I, you know, I, I'm quite partial to a bit of reading, but I think one of the things. So I'm going to say something here, and then I am almost certainly going to contradict myself when we talk about the same thing later. Uh, because one of the things that I found a bit of a drag was the dialogue—the actual text that you were having to read—was uh, not very, not very engaging. Yeah, for the most part, which is a shame. At the same time, here we go, coming straight off the heels of that, the contradiction. Right. At the same time, there were some really nice bits of translation. And I think there's an element of Britishness, I think, to the English translation here. I don't know if you mentioned this already, but there was a town that has been absolutely just taken to the ground, raised, completely raised to the ground. And it's where you find one of your heroes, Zoon, just standing amongst the wreckage. And later, when you talk to your party, one of your party says that that town was done in, which I really like. How downplayed a whole yeah. town being raised? How how much they downplay <laughs> it? Just using that phrase, and quite I think quite a British phrase. Done in that town was done in there were quite a few moments where that happened as well where the dialogue felt characterful and in a fairly British way so that was a nice element Mm. of it. At the same time there was too much of it and it wasn't engaging enough for that characterfulness to to shine. So
1: Ashley's just mentioned talking to your party and that's something that we both thought was fantastic so in the pause menu you can bring up there's an option that says talk and that's just a brief conversation and it is brief especially in the context of the game where conversations Mm. end up being quite long. Just a brief chat amongst your party members just to refresh yourself on where you need to go next so for example there was one cutscene where they were talking for ages about what's happened and what where to go next and because I was skipping because I was bored I missed where I was supposed to go next and also didn't really have any understanding where I was supposed to go on the world map so I had this little chat amongst my party members and they said I need to go to this place which is north of this place there you go. I think that's brilliant because it just sums up, you know, this is your next objective, but done in, in a way that's relevant to what's going on, the plot, the characters, etc. But then you said as well that if you were playing this game and put it to one side for a bit, and then came back to it, straight away you go to this menu, you press talk, you know exactly where to go, what mm. you, the purpose of going there is.
0: Yeah, and it, it characterises it as well, so you, you're you not just getting a hint. In Zelda, in a Link to the Past, one of the things that you can do to get a hint is go and see the fortune teller, who is mm-hmm the own the sole purpose of the fortune teller is to give you those hints here's what you text. do next Yeah, that means that they just stand apart from everything else, they don't really have any character beyond being help text, whereas here they've grounded the help text in something that helps to fill out the character of your party as well, so incidentally you said that I had suggested it borrowed from some SNES RPGs, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that it does borrow from it, it that taught uh, mechanic, I think comes from Dragon Quest. Oh, okay. Certainly I know that you can do that. And thinking about it, actually, the way that they array the enemies in battle, that also feels very Dragon Questy because they're sort of these portraits that they do, they stand in the same positions at the back of the screen and they animate in the same way. And that's sort of um, how Dragon Quest does it. It's, it's kind of made a thing of it to, the, to a point because um, certainly in the latest Dragon Quest games, they the portraits of monsters, enemies, that are harking back to the earlier Dragon Quest games they still even though they're in full 3D even though they're fully 3D they still sort of take on the same poses that it was taken in the 2D games right so yeah Dragon Quest has made a bit of a thing of that and it seems like Fantasy Star maybe has borrowed that as well that okay. element of it it kind of feels like there's a, a bit of mimicry going on when it comes to Dragon Quest possibly which is no bad thing
1: is that mimicry or is that ripping off or is that you being charitable that it is ripping it off
0: I would Oh, I'm being charitable. We've had this conversation before. I think when we were talking about Savage Planet, Gen to the Savage Planet, and mm. that one of the things that people hammered Savage Planet for, reviewers hammered H- H- Savage Planet for, was borrowing mechanics from other games. I think... Magpieing stuff is part and parcel of the it's part and parcel of art for one it's certainly part and parcel of commercialized or art that has a commercial purpose like games like books like films if you are operating in a genre then you should be expected to borrow from other good examples of that genre and games are no games are no exception in fact they might even benefit from that more strongly
1: yeah because if you're playing this game and you go into this battle situation, and it links back to Dragon Quest. It gives you a sense of familiarity, I suppose, with what mm. you're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, and there's an intertextuality to it that you you get in novels. And when you study, if you study English literature um, at any moderate level, even sort of GCSE, so at any at any level from the age of about 15 onwards, if you study English <laughs> literature, you're talking about intertextuality a lot. The links between one poet and another matter so much, or one one <laughs> poet's poem and another of their poet. They matter. They really mm-hmm. matter. The context with one another and against one another, and we seem to balk at the idea of that with games and gaming. Certainly when it comes to borrowing mechanics, and I don't really know why.
1: No, I, th- I think the point I've made really familiarity. That's why. That's what they're there for. Is to give you a bit of a, a hook. And very few games. I think, especially nowadays, can really be credited as as being completely new. Innovative. Because of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you just said the word innovative. One thing this game did that I thought was extremely innovative, and I've not encountered it in a jrpg before you might be able to correct me is the macro system for battles yes
0: so certainly i've never come across that in a contemporary of fantasy this is the first time i've seen it in that something that might come closest in final fantasy 13 where you can sort of set your characters to auto attack
1: so the macro Macro system, as the name would imply, you set up, you say, right, I want this guy to do this, this guy to do this, etc., etc., and just press go each time. So it makes the battles so fluid and so smooth and quite enjoyable, really. I would say.
0: Mm, yeah, i maybe we diverge a little bit there. I think you are in danger whenever you automate something. You're in danger of allowing the player to disengage from the systems yeah. that you've put in place.
1: And it did get a bit to the point where you just said automating. I'd agree with that actually, that I was quite removed from the situations. I was just pressing a button, and just watching it all unfold. Mm. But you can choose. There were points during the battles, especially boss battles, where I was running the macros and letting the characters do their battles. But then it, depending on what happened when the boss was attacking me, I would then jump in and, and regain control of the characters when it was my turn. So there is a degree of going, switching between them. Mm.
0: I'd say that the macros here... I, I really like the macro system. So anything that I say here should be taken in, in the context of my saying that first. I think the macro system is a good idea. At the same time, I also think that it's a an acknowledgement of a genre problem whereby certainly random battles are a nonsense. And yeah. what they're doing with the macro system is saying, we know... These are onerous. We know that these are an, uh, slightly annoying for a lot of our players. So here's a thing to alleviate the annoyance because you just have to press a couple of buttons and all it's all done for you. We know you're just going to press attack for every single character <laughs> against these monsters. So here's a macro to be able to do that. It's a problem of the genre. It's a problem that hasn't been addressed adequately even now, but it is a problem that people are starting to get to grips with, or developers are starting to get to grips with.
1: I talked about Metopia in the first half. In Metopia, oh. you're controlling one. One character at the point in the demo that uh, me and my daughter are at you're playing one character in a party of four and the other three characters just do their own thing and you control one character which makes it which streamlines the experience and makes it very accessible for my daughter yeah uh, you know i've now got i've got a six-year-old who's playing a, a turn-based battle system within an rpg which i think is brilliant but yep. I do feel watching her play or when I jump in and have to help her or whatever that I am doing a quarter of the work because of that.
0: Yeah. Incidentally, that is something that Dragon Quest does as well. <laughs> okay. So you have a party a party of four and you control one of the characters in that party of four. Dragon Quest eleven anyway, I I haven't played all of the Dragon Quests by any stretch, so.
1: And did you get the same feeling playing Dragon Quest Eleven? Then the fact that you are not in, completely in control of what's going on.
0: I think there's an element of control freakery <laughs> that we are admitting to here, yeah. Because potentially having the need to control all four of those characters, I don't know how necessary it is. That, so, I mean, this is again, this is a whole, this is a whole show if we really wanted it to be. But the choice to only have you control one character if that if they were going to make that choice then why have a party mm. what does the party add but then at the same time in dragon quest in particular something that might not have occurred in Metopia is that you can set characters to have certain behaviors so in dragon quest you can set them to be aggressive and attack all the time or you can set them to be supportive and heal um when necessary but otherwise attack you do that in Metopia as well so that to some extent overcomes the fact that you aren't in direct control, but you are influencing. And it also mimics the idea of like a general. So if, you, if you're if you the general, you don't go and position all of your soldiers physically and bodily, do you? You don't plonk them down. You don't grab them by the head and plonk them down behind the cover or in the trenches and Not then usually, aim no. their guns for them or anything, do you? You give them orders, you tell them a general way to behave, and then they go and operate autonomously. So there's that's really what it's mimicking, I think. The problem is that you and I are control freaks. And we want to be able, we want to have control over every aspect of that scenario in case it goes wrong. I suppose one hundred percent, completely. So then,
1: why was that system not in place for Final Fantasy VII, the first turn-based RPG I played, the game that came out after this? Because I think it does make the battles a lot thicker
0: it's a choice it's a it's an actual choice isn't it so the different choices that people make are how they distinguish themselves in a genre and as much as i've said that they they borrow from one another in lots of ways and that's good it's also good to find a distinct a a, a way to distinguish yourself Hmm. Um, in terms of turn-based rpgs some of them go the general route and some of them go the control freakery (laughs) route and the control freakery route adds a layer of thinking and strategy that isn't necessarily always there for the automaton route, or the general route as I've previously coined it, whilst the automation route, the general route, that provides as you said it provides this slickness this streamlined thing that some people that people do want sometimes mm. so yeah it's, I suppose it's a bit a bit about depth and how deep you really want to go and how deep a game wants to let you go I hope that's an adequate answer no
1: that makes sense and, and I guess you're right actually it's uh different games by different companies so it's to be quite honest it's really up to square what they do with their game not me isn't it
0: yeah yeah but there it kind of is up to you as as one of many 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 fans if, if fans don't like some Thing, then a company maybe was wrong to do, to do it final fantasy 13 is a good example people did not like the automaticness of, the, ah, of the battle systems there i was one of them i don't know whether i was just a bit harsh at the time but it just felt like they were on autopilot a lot of the time and that you really all you really would need to do was press x or Right. Depending on which console you were playing. And the game would kind of play itself. I think, though, that was, to some extent, possibly, uh, me ending up on a bit of a bandwagon. Not having enough time. I think, really, the thing that put paid to Final Fantasy XIII for me was just not having enough time to fit it in. Right. Uh, But anyway, that's not Fantasy Star IV. It It is related. I'm not entirely sure that I enjoyed the battles in Fantasy Star IV. How about that? All right. Why not? Because... Because it felt like they were quite simplistic. There wasn't really much challenge to a lot of the battles that I played. It is early game, but we were playing for a fair while and the, the ramp didn't appear. We didn't start ramping up in terms of difficulty or challenge.
1: Apart from in that valley uh, that you and I both had our entire
0: party. The pink virtually. flam things, the blocks. Yeah. Yes. Uh, however... At that point, I was just... So that was a, a little bit later on in the playtime. And I don't know about you, but I was sort of trying to push on to get to this next town mm. because I knew that we were going to have to wrap up soon. So I wasn't really paying too much attention to what we were doing. And have it, even having said that, we still survived because they gave us this character Zune who was massively overpowered for the point in the game that we were at. And I kind of feel like that might have been done on purpose, like a design choice, that you maybe wouldn't have ever got through that cave. However much attention you paid, you were, all three of your characters were going to die. Zoom was going to survive because he's overpowered. And because there's a, a line, when you get to Tono or Tono, when you get there, there's a line after you've spoken to the granddad character that gets punched that Zoom says about not being powerful enough to go toe-to-toe with the big baddie. Ah, uh, I skipped that. Uh, I kind of think that it might have been a, a design choice to sort of teach you a lesson or something. Makes like, sense. Like, this isn't going to be as easy as you think or something like that.
1: And then you also realized that battles can be run away from extremely easily which again makes it very fluid to get through.
0: Yeah, I I to the <laughs> so I started running away from all, all the battles just so I could push on through the game. I'm sure that would pro- present its own problems later on uh, yeah, when yeah. when you eventually get something that you can't you're not allowed to run away from like a boss. Yeah, not a, valid, not a valid strategy at all.
1: I didn't like aspects of the battles being icon-based when you're choosing what to do. There were five icons, which we figured out what each one did. But I found that quite a obstacle in understanding and being uh, fluid in what I was doing in my, in my choices during the battles.
0: At the same time, 1995 for us, this came out. You would have got this game, you would have had a manual. I would have got it in 1997 and not had a manual. So that would have been... <sighs> Uh, true to life for me but you would have had the manual less, so that would have been a fairly easy thing to overcome at the time wouldn't it
1: and another thing which you pointed out is also a trope of the genre were the text strings being short so I found that quite jarring because I didn't understand what was going on some of the time in battles especially yeah. or in the menus but then as you said it's by by necessity. So for example, equipping a leather shield, it's an L T H R shield. So I don't understand what it is.
0: Or a, a stealth sword. Yeah.
1: steel sword? What was that? Steel sword?
0: Steel. Steel sword. Yeah. Right, so okay. by uh, by necessity, because they only had so many so much space for for each text string. And and that is something that happens in a, a number of other RPGs in particular.
1: Well, it definitely happens in Pokemon, for example.
0: So final thing, we have talked about the way this game looks, and one of the things that stands out to me and it is pretty cool is the the gruesomeness of a lot of its enemies they are really well realized they're really really well drawn they move in ways that are, are quite grim uh, a lot of the time the first enemy that you come across is like this weird pulsating brain on two legs and it has like which just um, dangly bits down below that just sort of wobble about weird that uh, and the head pulsates doesn't it yeah sort of sort of like a heart and then it only gets weirder from there so the there is some worms in the desert they're called mini worms they're like really big I mean they kind of look like worms but they kind of also a bit look a bit like penises with big blue holes in and that gets worse when they attack because when they attack they sort of stretch out really long towards your character at the front of the screen and then and then retract it just looks heinous to be quite frank yeah somewhat offensive and the list goes on there was those blobs the pink blobs in the valley maze that killed us they kind of looked like they were sicking down their front. Like yeah. there was vomit down their front. And then their attack, it looks either, either, depending on how you looked at it, it looked like a laser, like a big blue laser coming out of you, or it looked like projectile vomit. Blue projectile vomit that it was chucking out at you at your characters. So yeah, there was a lot, whether it was meant or not, there was a an element of gruesomeness to the enemy designs that I quite appreciated and quite enjoyed yeah that's the, that's the last thing I've got to say really about the game looking at it I think that it is a worthy game especially at 79p at 79p yes $100 though look how far we've come at $100 I'm not so sure about that for a start I only ever had about £7 to spend on a game at any one point in the 90s anyway but
1: I guess going back to what you said about about the scarcity of RPGs on the Mega Drive that that would have been the thing that calls people into paying that's phantom 4 yeah
0: quite possibly if you are an rpg fan Sadly. and you're on the mega drive you're gonna be hard pressy you might sort have to suck it up but then if you're an rpg fan would you have necessarily ended up landing on the mega drive i'm not sure i don't really know what it was what's going on then because i was about six no your, your mum was on other things like running around in the dirt and whatever. lollipops and ladybirds Absolutely. That's what my mind still is on. Ah, that sounds good. I'm glad. That sounds like a happy life, doesn't it? Lollipops and Ladybirds. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd be playing this again. As good as it seems like it would be, I'm not sure I'll play it again. It didn't capture me personally. I can see why people are fans. I'm not sure. So you said in the first half about it sort of landing in the top. Lists of RPGs, and mm-hmm. I kind of feel like it, it might be just people throwing the Mega Driver bone in those <laughs> lists.
1: Just think about those lists, though. So, 61st best game ever, or alternatively, it's number 59 in the top 100 RPGs ever. I mean, it's still number 59. There's 58 better RPGs than this. That's,
0: that's think quite a lot. There are probably over 100 better RPGs. <laughs> when was the list written? I suppose that matters. That but was 2012, that one. In 20, by 2012, you've probably got 100 better RPGs than this. <laughs> I would hazard a guess at that being true. But it just it doesn't do enough to distinguish itself, I feel, from other games in the genre. And that's unfortunate. So you're not a, a fan of a fantasy star, that's fans about Ph. <sighs> of course it is. Uh I No, I, if I was really pushed on it, I think I'd have to say no. I oh. think it's I think it's nice. I think I think it looks nice. I think that's really its strength. It sounds nice as well, which we didn't mm, yeah, touch music upon. Was good. It did it did sound nice and the overall experience was fairly enjoyable but then there were there were those things that held it back, like the the onerous text that you had to wade through. I, I think when a, when a game's trying to tell a story, and it does so in such a way that makes you <laughs> too bored to keep reading the story, it says something, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's a problem of RPGs, and it's not. this is by no means the only RPG that falls into that trap. But at the same time, it falls into that trap. And so I don't feel like I should encourage it.
1: Yeah, I think I pretty much echo those sentiments, really. I think that 79p, it's an absolute bargain and would be well worth a look to people who are into JRPGs, into 16-bit RPGs. People new to the genre nowadays, maybe not quite so much. It is also available on the sort of various compilations, and the Switch version apparently has uh, fast-forward or rewind options, which I quite like the sound of. That may well be available on on other versions as well. I just found certainly a a review for it on, on the Switch. I enjoyed playing it tonight because of the nostalgic feels it gave me but i agree with you i don't think it's one i'd be going back to
0: i mean it's interesting that you say that the switch version has got a fast forward setting on it because one of the things that we haven't we haven't actually talked about but we did both mention when we were playing it moves at such a rate like if you well we were we were skipping the text so bear that in mind but you do you bounce from town to town to town i think we visited about six or seven towns yeah in the space of the time that we played and it does in physical terms it feels like it's really moving you forward at the same time one of the drawbacks uh, and it's a shame i tried to end on a positive so maybe i should have just stayed at kept it that but at the same time one of the drawbacks of that is that everywhere melded into one i can remember some of the names of towns but by and large everything before tono or tono uh, felt like the same place and that's a real shame as well because it's a, a strength of the best rpgs that they have a real strong sense of place and they do that through thematic design i think of various towns and cities that they 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 create um, and that, that's something this game didn't do. But let's end on a positive, 79p. Yay, 79p. Not $100. Miniworm penises. Is that mm. a positive? I oh, mean, that's not a positive, is it? Debatable. Mm.
1: Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our 60th episode. As a tradition, with episode 70, we'll do another game that none of us have played before. But next week, it's business as usual uh, to one of Ashley's games.
0: Yes. I've forgotten. I, I've actually mapped out all of my games for the next Two or three months, so I know what it is, but I've forgotten what it is. So I can't even give you a teaser.
1: Well, I better make sure I stay safe that nothing happens to me, otherwise, that's time wasted for you, isn't it? What
0: do you mean? Oh, right. if you die, I've mapped out. I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, I meant like. Well, fingers crossed you don't die. <laughs> Just for the sake of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to see Chris die, Please do let him know. Maybe at YouTube, Twitter. Don't do it at YouTube. He doesn't pay any attention to our YouTube. Do it at Twitter or Facebook. Probably Facebook because he's not really interested in the rest. We do have an Instagram. Chris doesn't use it. So if, you, if you're if you trying to reach out to Chris, don't use Instagram either. I don't uh, understand Instagram. Mm, mm, it's just pictures. It's very little to understand, I think. I don't understand how to get big on on instagram although incidentally that is where we have the most followers so they've not
1: broadcast that fact
0: (laughs) yeah basically what we're saying is come and reach out come and chat to us if you fancy also like subscribe rate review whatever your platform allows we would really appreciate if you did it because it does help us reach a wider audience thank you ever so much for listening again if you're a repeat offender uh, or for the first time if you're not and we'll see you again next week for another episode
1: bye